Hi everyone, I'm Mike Novogratz and this is Next with Novo. Welcome everybody, this is another episode of Next with Novo and I have got Desmond Mead, MacArthur genius fellow. How does it feel to be a genius? <laughs> it feels great, Mike, I tell you. Now I can really say it and have proof that I am a genius. <laughs> it's yeah. not just my opinion anymore. You know, I, when I read you and, and, and my friend Dwayne Betts both got genius awards, I was like two formerly incarcerated guys. One went to Yale Law School, one went to the School of Hard Knocks. <laughs> uh, but two amazing stories. Uh, you no, know, Charles Dutton used to talk about that from jail to Yale, right? Yeah. So, yeah, one went to jail, the other one went to Yale. <laughs> <laughs> uh, give us a little bit, you know, a lot of my viewers will have no idea who you are. They should know who you are. Uh, but let's get a little bit of your story. Uh, and I know you've told this story a bunch, but you're going to have to tell it again because I love it. Uh, it's inspirational. Uh, and I think it'll help define our conversation. Yeah, thanks, Mike. You know, uh, I, I like to think of myself of just an ordinary guy that was able to take advantage of an extraordinary situation and do extraordinary things. Uh, but, you know, when I tell my story, I always go back to August of 2005. Uh, in South Florida, when I, I found myself standing in front of railroad tracks, waiting on a train to come so I can jump in front of it. You know, that day that I was standing there, Mike, I was at my lowest. You know, I didn't, I didn't have a job. I was recently released from prison. I was addicted to crack cocaine. I was unemployed. And the only thing I owned were the clothes that was on my back. And as I stood there, you know, the main thing that was going through my head was how much pain I was going to feel when that train hit me, you know, whether I was going to die instantly or, or have to go through moments of agonizing pain. And I can tell you, I'm a guy that's scared of needles, but even the thought of the pain that I would have to endure was not enough to make me move. And I stood there and I waited for quite some time, but fortunately the train didn't come and I ended up crossing the tracks and about two blocks further was a place called central intake facility in which they, if you go there, they would actually place you in a, a drug treatment program. And so I walked there uh, and they were, I was lucky. They were able to, they had an opening for a treatment program, a four month in-house treatment program. And I, and I was enrolled. And after completing those four months, I moved back into a homeless shelter that I've been in many. I was homeless uh, over 10 years. And while there, I decided, you know, I wanted to do something uh, so I wouldn't relapse, right? And, you know, uh, for those of your, uh, your listeners or viewers um, who might know something about addiction, you know that sometimes you can stop using the drugs or the alcohol and your life would seem to improve. And then something would happen to make you pick up the drug or the alcohol again. And the next thing you know, you're right back in the place you were before, even worse. And I didn't want to experience that anymore because I've been through that vicious cycle many times. And I figured that if I if I mess up this time that and end up in front of railroad tracks, I might not be as lucky. And so I decided, let me just go ahead and see if I could do something to raise my self-esteem. And, and I decided, man, get an education. So I enrolled in one of the local colleges in this paralegal program, uh, ended up graduating at the top of my class. My professors encouraged me to continue my education. So I pursued a bachelor's in public safety management with a concentration in criminal justice, believing that since I had a lot of experience getting arrested 
and appearing before judges that it would benefit me. It would be beneficial for me in the classroom setting. And, you know, it was, and I ended up graduating uh, with my bachelor's degree with highest honors. And eventually I was accepted into law school. Uh, and I chose uh, to attend Florida International University's College of Law. And in May of 2014, I walked across that stage uh, to get my second doctorate's degree, right? Uh, 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 and I say second, Mike, because when I walked across the stage, I was getting my doctor of law degree or doctor of jurisprudence, right? But I had a previous doctor degree and that was doctor of the streets because right? I've been living in those streets for quite some time. And so that's, I mean, that, 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 that is like part of that journey. Yeah. So you were, you were, let's see, 2014, that's what, seven years ago, you're 50, you were 47 years old when you graduated from law school. Roughly. Well, thank you for reminding me of my age, Mike. I yeah. appreciate that. <clears throat> Don't worry. I'm three years older than you, which makes me feel terrible. Uh, at least at least you're bald. <laughs> if you had hair, I'd really feel bad. Uh, listen, so you're 47. So, And you became a great student. You figured out you were smart. Like, I met you the first time. I was like, dude, that guy is smart. I told my wife. Uh, he's just not good looking. Um, when you were a kid... <laughs> When you were a kid and you were bouncing in and out of school, elementary school, middle school, did anyone think you were smart? Did you ever think you were smart? You know what? Yes, 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 yes. But there was one time where I didn't want to be smart. <laughs> and that's when I got to high school, you know, because I, you know, I played sports and nobody wanted to be the nerd, you know what I'm saying? They wanted to be the jock. And so I was struggling between being, and then there was expectations that just because you play sports, you're not as smart as the other people, you know? And, yeah. and, and so sometimes I found myself maybe dumbing myself down, right? Uh, and and like, it was a struggle, it really was. But prior to high school, man, let me tell you, uh, when I was in, in elementary, I remember um, my, my teacher uh, convincing my mom to enroll me in what they call the weekly reader program. And they were able to send, you know, this company would send you a book uh, like once a month or once a week. And you get to read books, you get to pick the books you want and some are free, some you have to buy. And I was a huge Encyclopedia Brown fan, right? Yeah. And I used to read all the time. And, you know, I, I almost got promoted uh, ahead of one grade that's been a traumatic experience uh, because the what was going to determine whether or not I got promoted was if I won a spelling bee and I was one of two finalists and I knocked myself out because I couldn't spell our, right? Like <laughs> our time together, right? And I was, it was unbelievable. A three letter word knocked me out um, and I'll never forget that. But I did not. I, I'll say this. Though, now Mike, I know. What, I, I, I know. Up, what, I know but, what your next tattoo is going to be. <laughs> our. Oh, you are. <laughs> <laughs> but let me tell you. You know. So people always said I was smart, right? Yep. Um. But here's the deal. I didn't find out that I might be a genius, right? Until after I flunked out of my first year of law school. You flunked, flunked out of law out. school. Yeah, it's in my book. Mike, you know, listen, and your readers ought to get a copy of it. Let my people vote. The story's there. But 
the first year of law school, I got dismissed from the law school. And, you know, professors like something have to be wrong because you're always prepared. You're one of the smartest people in the, in, 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 uh, in, in, in the class. And so the assistant dean, feeling that something was wrong, sent me to get this special, uh, very expensive, like a $20,000 test, right? Uh, uh, I guess in this intelligent IQ test or something like that. And what it what it found out was I was a genius. My IQ was like extremely high, but I had a learning disability. It was hard for me to translate what was in my head and put it in the words, in the writing, right? And law school, what law school does, I, I figured it out, it exposes any flaws. So you can do well in undergrad, right? which I did, I was almost like a perfect, a straight A, uh, a student in, in, in undergrad, but law school is so rigorous that it will expose any flaw that you have. And it that first year exposed that learning disability. And so they were able to get a special accommodations for me. I got reinstated, got the special accommodations. And the next thing you know, within a year, I was on the Dean's list. Wait, was it some form of dyslexia? I don't know what they call it. You know, right. I, 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 you know, I, I can't, I can't remember all those big medical terms. It's a fascinating story because you could have been sidetracked yet again, and who knows where your life would have been if you didn't get back into law school. You know, if they didn't have you take those tests. It's, it's always funny to me the little things in life that that push you onto the path uh, that are so random in some way. Some guy decided it was important for you to take that test. And without that test, you might be right back on the train tracks. Who knows? I hope not. But you uh, know what? Let me, but let me, let, me, let me add something on there, Mike. Because when I found out that I was dismissed from law school, I, I was in a, 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 a room in the uh, St. Croix, U.S. Virgin Islands, <laughs> above a bar with about, I would say, 12 bottles of cruise rum right in my room right and and money in the bank right and it was i was primed for a relapse because when i found out i was like oh my god i disappointed everybody you know they used to write stories about man this homeless drug addict now i was in law school oh my god how great that story is and thinking about how much of a disappointment i would have been going back to the states it was prime for me to pick up a drink and a drug right and just spend all of hundreds and thousands of dollars i had and nobody would have ever known, right? And so, me being able to pick up a phone and call somebody—we we, we call that a—we call that a bender in New York, <laughs> no doubt. Well, hey, listen. So, you really became nationally known, and certainly known by me and, and the guys at Galaxy Gives, um, with the Florida Restoration Act when you decided that it was just unfair, unconstitutional. Uh, and a downright shitty that, you know, people who were, who had served their time uh, would, wouldn't be able to vote. And quite frankly, you know, in lots of civilized countries, Germany, Norway, Sweden, you, you can even vote while you're in jail and in some states. And so how did that become a mission of yours? And take us through that journey, because that made you one of Time Magazine's most influential people in the world one year, which is also, it's almost as cool as a MacArthur Genius Grant. Wow, so I had two missions, uh, uh, Mike, right? One mission was definitely 
uh, a, a mission that I knew of. The other mission I didn't realize until I would say probably the beginning of uh, of 2020, right? But the that first mission around voting rights or the or the restoration of civil rights, you know, um, when I made a conscious decision, part of my recovery was service, giving back. I knew that you know I that with the transformational experience I had when I was in drug treatment, that I knew that I wanted to commit my life to giving back, right? And one of the first orgs that I was able to get plugged into um, was the Florida Rights Restoration Coalition when it was nothing but a coalition uh, email listserv. And that's when I discovered felon disenfranchisement, right? And understood that I myself couldn't vote and the other collateral consequences that come along with a felony conviction, uh, particularly in the state of Florida. And so as I was going around and just hearing the stories, because at first I thought it was just only black people that couldn't vote if they had a felony conviction. And then I started seeing people that looked more like you than me, Mike, right? And, 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 and imagine my, my, my surprise when I found out that almost twice as many people looked like you who couldn't vote than people who looked like me. And, you know, I, I, I knew that something, you know, just hearing the stories, I knew that we had the changes and we were fighting for it. We did uh, bring about some policy changes under uh, Governor Chris, which he made it automatic, the restoration of, of civil rights to include voting rights for people who were convicted of less serious offenses. And back then it was like 1.54 million people who couldn't vote in Florida because of a felony conviction, right? Today, uh, right before Amendment 4, it, it grew to about 1.68 million, which is a population uh, uh, greater than many states in the United States and U.S. territories and many countries in the world, right? And so we, uh, you know, I was committed to changing the felonies and franchisement laws, but the thing that hit me the most was right after Charlie Chris. Uh, instituted this policy, which in four years, over 155,000 people were able to get their civil rights restored. A new administration came in and undid it and made it, undid the policy, made it even worse, right? And and just to give you a, 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 a comparison. Let me, you, let me ask you a question on that. Uh -huh. Is that just mean-spirited, you know, assholery? Uh, you know, or is it political strategy? I think it's more political strategy. You know, I, I, I really do. Um, and with some mean assholery mixed in there too, as well for good measure. But here's the deal, Mike, you know, one of the things when I, when I study even the history of felon disenfranchisement, the voting rights or the history of democracy, what I've, what has been the consistent through line is that there are people who are in power who believe that not everyone should have a say on how this country is ran, right? You could go from the very beginning when at first the framers of the Constitution didn't think that even women should have a say in, in, in what's going on. I mean, and so that has been the constant. And so when we talk about during the Reconstruction era when felon disenfranchisement saw its resurgence, it was Dixie Democrats that was leading the fight to keep... People for me, I mean, they went as far as hanging us, right? I mean, straight murder. And so 
that is, you see that consistency there, right? You see it in right now, even with redistricting, right? And, and the gerrymandering and even prison gerrymandering, right? All of that fall under this, what I call a, a, a view as a blatant attack against democracy, right? And that through line is, is that you got people in power who don't want certain people to have a say, right? on how their communities are ran. At the end of the day, that's what that's it, it is. You got it. Yeah. All right, so how did, you know, listen, when Amendment 4 Act, when, when Amendment 4 passed, right, it was the single greatest re-enfranchisement of a group of people ever. Uh, well, I guess since women got the right to vote. Um, how, did, uh, how did you put the coalition of left and right together yeah yeah the Koch brothers and the aclu those guys usually don't you know stand on the same dance floor yeah there's a lot of people that don't mess right but let me tell you overall what i what, what i know and 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 when people stop and think about it i believe that they would agree that there actually there's actually more that 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 binds us together as human beings than they are that separates us right uh I, i'm pretty sure that, that you have business good good business partners right, who are on both sides, right? And you might have some friends who are on both sides or people that you know, right? And, and, and that may not necessarily subscribe to some of, of the madness, but, you know, reason why I think we was able to bring that together, you know, folks, you know, <laughs> will try to say, oh, that campaign was a bipartisan campaign. That was amazing bipartisan. I'm like, heck no, it wasn't a bipartisan campaign. And they were like, oh, I'm so sorry. I meant nonpartisan campaign. And I'm like, heck no, it wasn't a nonpartisan campaign either. And they were like, well, what the heck was it, Desmond? I'm simple. It was an organic grassroots movement that welcomed and enjoyed bipartisan support. And the key distinction is you didn't lead with the politics, you led with the people, right? And when you lead with the people, it is so much easier to bring others into it because at the core of what we're doing was real people from all walks of life, all political persuasions, engaging in, 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 in an effort to do something that was just, something that was right, and it was driven by love. How in the hell are you going to attack that? Yeah, listen, I mean, we, we have a country that is mostly you know, seeped in the Judeo-Christian ethic, right, which is all about redemption. And so you got redemption, you got second chances. Like, it does play in to the American psyche so much. It, it always drives me crazy in criminal justice because when I have one-on-one -on -one conversations with people, right now everyone agrees that the current system sucks. Very few people say it doesn't suck. And, and so, and people believe in redemption and, and you should get a second chance. Um, what it seems like the, the movement is m missing still is, okay, then what? What's the alternative? Um, and listen, you made a great argument. Uh, you got 60% of the, the, vote, the Florida vote, which is usually a 50-50 vote, to say, hey, we agree with you. And we all celebrated. I probably drank too much because that's what I normally do when I celebrate. Uh, and then all of a sudden... You know, the new governor, Governor DeSantis, for the same reasons the, the last guy had shifted the, the policy, said, yeah, they voted for it with 60 percent, but I'm going to I'm going to gum up the works a little bit and put a bunch of restrictions on. And mm -hmm. 
How did that feel? Did you did you expect that coming, or were you like, you got to be kidding? <laughs> you know what? One thing I do expect is anytime politicians get involved, it gets messy, right? And real people, ordinary people, suffer, right? At the end of the day, you yep. you can go back as far as you want, whatever. But I think that um, no, I wasn't totally surprised. I was very disappointed though. And let me tell you, I was disappointed because when we passed Amendment 4, it was a beautiful experience, right? And the reason why I say it was beautiful because we bought Democrats, Republicans, Independents, white, black, Spanish, Asian, all kinds of people together. And we overwhelmingly passed Amendment 4. And I, and I always love to tell folks that we had a million more votes than any of the gubernatorial candidates Right, and we know that over a million Republicans voted for it, right? But when we looked at the 5.1 million votes, man, there were votes that were based on hate or fear. There were votes that was based on love and forgiveness and redemption. And we showed the world that love can in fact win the day. We showed this country that we can move major issues collectively together without having to tear each other down, without having to vilify each other, without having to be fearful of each other or hate each other that we could actually bring people together, connect them along the lines of humanity and accomplish something great. It was highly disappointing to see the minute politicians got involved, those lines were drawn, right? And those trenches were dug and folks were set in and there was division, them right against left, right? And went back to the old ways of handling business, which we know when you handling business the old way, we know nothing ever gets done, right? Yep. Nothing ever gets done. And so that was very disappointing. But you said something that was key to uh, really to this. When you was talking about how when you talk with people, they were like, it makes sense that this system sucks. But then to get them to do something, that's a different thing. And I think what drives some of that, Mike, is the fact that people think that they have to lose something in order for other people to gain something, right? And so, like, I, in order for me to feel safe, I need to make you feel unsafe, right? And, and, uh, some, both of us can't win. And, and, and that's flawed thinking because the reality is, is that we all win when we empower those who are weakest among us. You know, just like a chain is only as strong as its weakest link. Yeah, no, I get right? it. I get it. That, that is our society. And so if we strengthen the, 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 the segment of our society that has been most weakened by systems of oppression and racism, then we all get better as a society. When I'm allowed to participate in democracy, it flourishes. And that's good for everybody. When I'm allowed to participate in the economy, fully participate in the economy, it flourishes and everybody gets paid, right? And so there is this thinking though, that from if I'm gonna benefit, somebody have to lose yeah. and no one have to really lose. All right, so let, let's, let's finish up on um, Florida restoration. So the one and a half million people, then during the election, the presidential election, it was like, okay, we're not gonna get all the fees and fines paid, but let's try to pay as many as we can. And so raise mm -hmm. outside capital donations, um, to get these Thank you for fund. your efforts on that, by the way, Mike. All right, you know my my money's yeah, going to good. One good thing use. I know, Mike Mike Novogratz is definitely not named Bloomberg. 
You deliver. Uh, <laughs> so we, uh, how, many, how many of that one and a half million people got to actually participate in that election? So that, that, that's a great question. Um, so this is what I can tell you. Uh, and these are just like top line numbers, which I thought is amazing. I mean, um, I know that we were personally able to register, I think over 50,000 returning citizens. And of course, more than that actually got registered to vote. Right. Um, I know that at the time of the election, there were about 192,000 people who were registered to vote that was on the rolls who had a criminal history or pre previous felony conviction. Right. And let me tell you, Mike, it didn't just stop there though. A lot of people, we tend to focus on the returning citizens and we lose a sight that man, it's more than just a returning citizen. It's their family, their households yeah. who are impacted because when you have a person that, that can't vote, what happens sometimes is it creates this aura to where anybody around them don't even think voting is important. And either they're not registered to vote or if they are registered, they still don't turn out to vote. But what we've seen was last year, presidential election, over 101,000 people with felony convictions voted and they brought their families along and over 177,000, right? People from the households of returning citizens also voted as well. Right. And so, man, let me tell you, it was a, those numbers was amazing to us because number one, uh, first of all, let me tell you, let's, that's, let's get that, this. That, that's two football stadiums full of people. There you go. So let's get this thing out the way real quick, right? You're not going to register a million people in, in, in a couple of years overnight like that. That just don't happen, right? Unless the state is actually engaged, which they should be, yep. in helping to make sure that its citizens participate in democracy. So, you know, I think it was phenomenal uh, about the amount of people that came out to vote, especially in the pandemic, in the middle of a pandemic, and approximately 70, 75 percent of those individuals voted early, which is amazing. Awesome. All right. So what next for Florida Restoration and for Desmond Mead? Well, that's that other mission that I didn't really realize I was on until, like I told you, uh, the uh, probably the beginning of, of, of 2020. And, and, and that's that, you know, chain is only as strong as its weakest link uh, of vision. Understanding, man, that, listen, man, that the reality is, is that when I was in, 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 in treatment, I remember getting on my knees and praying. You got it, Mike, please. I'm going to read, read it. I'm going to read the book. book. It's in there where I was on my knees praying and I was praying to God to give me the strength stamina, wisdom, perseverance to do his work. And basically what his work was, was that to use my life and the, and the tragedies of my life and the, and, and the obstacles that I had to overcome, use it in a way that would improve the lives of other people to make my community a better place. And what I realized is that if society is, is equivalent to a chain, right? We know that our society greatness is limited by how strong the most weakened segment of our society is. And so it's imperative to strengthen those individuals. So what is the ultimate goal? The ultimate goal is not to strengthen the, uh, the individuals. The ultimate goal is to create a greater society, right? And, and, but what I know the mission is, is that the only way we're gonna get there is we got to strengthen people who've been shut out of our democracy, 
shut out of our economy and have been victims of a narrative that says that some lives are less valuable than others. And the group of people that are that are most impacted that way are people who have been touched by a criminal justice system. So let me reframe this for a second, because it's something I've been thinking about a ton uh, with my wife, with our, our the group up at Galaxy. Um, most people, I would say all people that go through the system that, that are incarcerated, you know, have been traumatized at one point in their life. Uh, and then they go into a system uh, that re-traumatizes them in lots of ways. And so there are some people we meet, you're one of them, that found a way to heal themselves. Not You didn't heal when you were in the system. You healed later on through, you know, through really 12-step programs, it sounds like. Um, you know, we don't focus on healing in our criminal justice system at all, right? There are a few programs here and there. Uh, how do you, how do you talk to that space, right? Because again, we had a, we had a guy working here who was formerly incarcerated, and someone asked me, "Well, what do you do?" I said, "Well, he was born in a shitty neighborhood, <laughs> you know, uh, and the neighborhood alone was traumatic." Uh, and so, how do you help? Give a little of your own journey about the trauma that you had to process through to become whole again. Uh, so. Let me, let me, so, I mean, that's a great question. I, I, you know, I've seen, I've heard bits and pieces about what you and your wife is doing around that. And I think it's amazing, right? And, and you know what? That even though you call me ugly, which is okay, you know, I think great minds think alike because I am actually on that same journey. And I think that we're, we're getting ready to intersect in a very powerful way, Mike. But I have been giving that some serious thought over the last five to six months. And what I am doing is I am integrating trauma recovery into my organization as part of the workplace environment. Because what I realized is that I was lucky, right? We, we, I mean, we have people that has been traumatized we, um, for quite a number of years. And then we have expectations of them in the workplace and maybe outwardly it looks like they got it together and they're getting it done, but we're actually not experiencing their full potential because they have what we call untreated trauma. Right. Yeah. And, 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 and so I realized that I was lucky because I had the benefit of the 12 step program. Yeah. Right? I had the benefit of going through drug treatment, but there are some people who I know, like one of our members, from the time that they were like 13, they were in the streets engaging in gang activity with guns at 13 years old. That right there is a sign of some trauma for a 13-year-old kid to be even out in the streets, much less using guns. Then they were, he was apprehended by, you know, the criminal justice system got him, and they direct filed him as a juvenile. That's traumatic. Then he yep. spends a double digit years incarcerated. That's traumatic. And now he changes his life around and he comes out and now he's, he's a, a, a he graduated uh, a summa cum laude in law school and, and passed the bar and everything and is an amazing person. But guess what, Mike? There's still some deeply seated, unseated trauma because he never had the benefit of exploring himself. And so even though he's kicked butt now, imagine yeah. what he would be yeah, if yeah, he no, was dealing I'm, with that. And so, you know, no, I am fully committed. 
Um, listen, I'm, I'm trying to get connected with your people. I'm already going to order the, the VR goggles, the whole nine <laughs> yards. But we're, listen, I am committed 150% to integrating trauma recovery to be a part of the workplace environment because you're right. There's a lot of people in the, in the advocacy world who are walking around here with unseated, untreated trauma, yeah. right? And a lot of them don't even realize it. You don't yeah, because we buried it so far in our subconscious. It's interesting the, the the AA rooms and the NA rooms and all these 12-step rooms around the country really provide kind of it's free and it's group therapy and it's 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 you know it's one of the I'm unsung. I'm creating an AA room for criminal justice survivors. How about yeah, that? Yeah, I, I think it's a great idea. That's right. A great idea. Well, well, what are we gonna call it? Uh, uh, <laughs> CJA. <laughs> <laughs> Criminal Justice Anonymous or something. Man. There, there you let's go. figure it out, man. <laughs> have, let, let's get your people with my people and try to figure something <laughs> out. <laughs> All right. Well, well, Desmond, this has been great. Listen, you are a ball of energy. Uh, you know, proud to be your friend. You know, you're, your parents still alive? No, no. no. They, they, they passed away. Sorry about that. I'm but sure. you're looking to adopt? <laughs> Hey, at least you know you're getting a genius out of this, man. <laughs> <laughs> so you don't have to roll the dice, man. You, I'm getting a genius. <laughs> I'm, sh I'm sure if they were looking, you know, down from heaven, they would be very proud of you for all you've done. Yeah. I, I know your wife. We didn't talk about her. That could have been a whole other episode. <laughs> uh, I know, right? But I'm, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm sure uh, she's pretty excited for all your accomplishments and. Uh, we're looking forward to, to seeing what you do next. And uh, you're only three years younger than me, so I figured I got 20 good years left at least. So hey, you're, you're just Mike, getting man, started. Listen, let me tell you, um, I am so appreciative of people like you. And matter of fact, the hell with other people like you. I'm talking to you directly. <laughs> I Man, I love you, bro. I appreciate how when you found out about who I was and what I was doing, that you didn't even hesitate, man. And that you automatically knew the, the benefit of really supporting directly impacted leadership, man. And you have showed up like a, like a superhero uh, uh, for me, uh, which translates into being a superhero for the millions of, we got 6 million people with uh, a felony record or, or, or criminal justice records here in Florida. And I tell you the work that we're doing here, they can point to you and say that that guy there, he helped make my life a little bit better. And so I just want to just thank you galaxy gives and all all the people that's with you billy the whole nine yards and i'm i'm just excited about what the future holds definitely with this trauma thing too as well but i just want the whole world to know that i love uh mike <laughs> novogratz right even though he's not as handsome as i am i love him anyhow you know what i'm saying and i, I really appreciate your friendship all right hey awesome guys this has been a great episode of next with novo thanks desmond